ACASTCAST. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in-store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum. Restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Hello, and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show, featuring Jason Zook. In uncertain times, we must change our focus and priorities. This show will highlight social justice issues with the goal of expanding minds and increasing unity, love, and mutual respect for ourselves and our planet. We support the Black Lives Matter movement. Our show aspires to promote social spirituality, which simply means that by coming together, we can solve any of our problems, including the goal of bringing an end to all forms of hate, discrimination, bias, or oppression. We must protect our environment, reform our criminal justice system and protect every citizen from police brutality. When we come together, it becomes possible to bridge the gaps that plague our society and divide us from within. We the people means everyone. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show. This is Jason Zook. It's a great pleasure I have the opportunity of presenting special guest Alex Smith to the show today. Alex is a sci-fi writer who's on the show to promote Black fans, an LGBTQ people of color cyberpunk superhero comic series. Alex is in the process of having this project published through a Kickstarter campaign. The link to the campaign is actually included in the show notes below. To date, Alex has raised approximately $15,426 towards this project, and it's set to be released in September. Alex is a musician, art punk bands, Solarized and Rainbow Crimes. He's an activist with Metro Polarity Queer Sci-Fi Collective and cultural arts critic with Pitchfork, The Key, Bandcamp, and Philly Gay News. Alex is a recipient of the Pew Fellowship in the Arts and soon to be published author of the sci-fi cyberpunk superhero Afrofuturist short story collection, Arc Dust, forthcoming from Rosarian Publishing. Alex's contact information is also included in our program notes. And I just want to talk a little bit about Alex's uh, comic story book that we're talking about, Black Vans. It's a comic book, a cyberpunk superhero mashup, a strange tale about pharmaceutical companies run amok in a future Philadelphia where hackers provide intel, communications, and surveillance for the slowly disappearing superhero community. The hackers, called EQs, are a wild bunch. They fall along the queer LGBT spectrum their ranks reflecting the ethnic diversity of the city they're from and of the larger world. It's a great pleasure I welcome Alex to the show. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thanks for having me. I, um, 
I found out about this and I always like to pay homage to how I find out about a potential interview. And in this particular situation, I am grateful that there's a group I belong to, a platform called Greenlight and Shane Sanders is a member of Greenlight and he informed me about your project. And I decided to reach out to you through Instagram. I think it was like a week or two ago. And I'm so happy we got a chance to touch base with each other because this is exactly the type of stuff that I want to promote on my show. And so my first question is this, what motivated you to create black bands? Um, well, I guess it, that would be like a two tiered question. One, um, I really like comics. Um, ever since I was maybe like eight years old, I've been in super into comics. Um, and it's an interesting field and it's very difficult to get into. I know to a lot of people, it doesn't seem like it would be, but yeah, there's a lot of sort of networking and who, you know, and when, you know, who kind of scenarios it's probably closer to like the film industry i guess than it is say like the music industry or the fine art industry it's not really about so like you know that's if you want to participate in the mainstream so i just wanted to forego finding an editor finding a agent finding a publicist and pitching this story endlessly to uh publishers and i just wanted to put it out myself just to have the ideas already out there and just to like you know, get working, you know? And um, I guess the second part of that is that uh, I wanted to create a comic that featured uh, POC characters, black characters in their own um, heroic story. Um, You know, there's been a a pretty good surge of diverse comics, but it's mostly coming from a lot of underground and independent um, publishers and stuff. And, uh, you know, yeah, I wanted to add... um, new stories to that sort of like oeuvre, I guess. I wanted to become a part of that community and to not just have diverse characters, but to have characters that have agency and black characters who are stars of the, of the show, you know, instead of just background or sidekicks. So yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of like a two tiered (laughs) motivation behind doing this. And, you know, I just really enjoy writing sci-fi. So yeah, it was a no-brainer. I have a best friend from college. He's my age, 45, and he's been writing comics, and he's been in the yeah. comics and writing his own stuff for like 25 years, and I always tell him every day, I still think you're going to make it big. You're going to be discovered. You're going to have these opportunities, and I wish the same for you as well. I think it's amazing that you've decided to take a vision and put it into action, right. and creating your strip, uh, I shouldn't call it strip, I should say your story, mm-hmm. when you compare it to Marvel, how different do you see your characters compared to what we see on the big screen today? And do you think that in the future we'll be able to see characters more closely aligned to what you're put, you know, what you're creating, reflecting diversity, inclusivity, and people of color than what's yeah. out now? And how do you see us getting there? That's a good, that's a really good question, actually. Um, well, so Marvel has like decades and decades and decades of history, right? And, you know, the same with DC and a lot of these are mainstream comics companies. So they're, characters are embedded in the society that we live in. Like everyone knows who Spider-Man is, but you know, nobody knows who uh, Bo from Black Vans is, right? Like when I do my print run, it's going to have 500 copies. Like Spider-Man sells 500 copies in like two hours, right? So it's, it's a totally different world and it's a totally different sort of like um, uh, arena of activity um, and it's 
almost impossible to compare the two. Um, as far as like uh, Marvel and DC moving towards um, diversifying their lineups, like I have characters of um, different sizes and shapes and ethnicities and uh, most of the characters are queer. So it's like, I don't really see that coming from the mainstream like anytime soon. Um, Marvel and DC have a long way to go as far as that goes. Um, you know, right now, uh, <laughs> so Bo, my, the main character of my story, um, he's a fat kid. Um, and, but he's, you know, he's extremely athletic, extremely smart. And, um, you know, but he's also still a flawed character. And I think, you know, there's this kind of unspoken mandate at, at the MCU or whatever that every character that they portray has to have like chiseled abs and sort of appeal to this sort of um, Adonis-like structure that we're sort of um, brainwashed, for lack of a better word, into accepting as like a heroic body type. So, and you saw it reflective in uh, their portrayal of Thor, you know, they just gave, what's his name, like a, a fat suit or whatever, and then they just <laughs> make jokes about him for like, you know, an hour and a half. Or, you know, they'll do they'll do their version of diversity, which means they'll just do a wink and a nod to a character being queer or something like that. And they, then they uh, hype it up as if they're these grand ambassadors of inclusion just because they had like a gay side character, you know, who appeared in a bodega or an AA meeting or something. And <laughs> And none of their mainstream, none of their main, you know, their mainline characters are gay or queer, trans or non-binary. But, you know, there'll be article after article after article praising Disney or the MCU about their sudden turn towards diversity. And, you know, that's unfortunate. And, you know, there's been volumes and volumes written about why that's bad, but yet they keep doing it. So it's just it's something that, you know, they're never going to, like, not do, I guess, um, it's going to take people like me, people who want to see a change. Um, I'm 45 also, so it's going to take people. You understand. Uh, yeah, no, I've been around and like I've seen the, I've seen diversity sort of ebb and flow and go in and out of fashion or whatever within comics and science fiction. So I think it's just going to take what, whenever the next generation of creators comes about and there's always been uh, gay creators, there's always been creators of color it's when those people are going to say, I need to start reflecting myself into these stories and not in a wink, wink, nudge, nudge kind of way, but in a way that feels more empowering and more like respectable to their stories, you know? And once they, once they feel that they can demand that their stories be told, then we'll see a little bit of a budge, but it's also in the consumer's hands too. Like we shouldn't just rely on Marvel and DC and Warner brothers and all these other you know, Fox and Sony, these large corporations to tell us what our myths are going to be, to tell us our stories. We need to be able to like seek things out and find things on our own because before the MCU, it took effort. It took effort to find, to find out about all of these weird characters that we just kind of take for granted now. So yeah, it's, it's going to, it's going to depend on the audience too, to like want to seek out different ways of telling the story. So you know, you and I are both in the same generation. We're Gen right. 
you know, we're, we're 45. So you and I have seen, we can compare notes probably, even though we're different from different parts. I'm from New Jersey, originally, but mm-hmm. I remember it was such a big deal in the 80s that we had Cosby and it was such a big deal in the 90s right. that Ellen came out in 97. <laughs> and it's such a big deal today that Marvel's announcing drip, 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 a gay, a gay right. subplot that's like 30 layers under the big right. context. And right, right, right. now this is going on. So I want to ask you this, looking at what you've seen in your lifetime, where do you see the future of the comic industry going to reflect adequate representation of people of color and queer identity characters? And when do you think the, the critical, I guess, turning point will be? Mm. Well, that's two different industries, right? Um, and I always have this discussion, like, especially online, when um, I'm talking about superheroes, let's say, let's just talk about superheroes, right? When I'm talking about superheroes, because superhero is just one genre within comics, right? But when I'm talking about superheroes, I always want to know what the OP, the original poster, is talking about, right? Are they talking about the people played by Chris Evans and Chris Pratt and uh, Chris Pine and all the other Chris's? Or are they talking about these characters that existed on, you know, in in uh, ink and technicolor pages, you know, that would smudge on your fingers, you know, like in some in the back uh, end of a bookstore somewhere? Are they talking about comics? Or are you talking about film, right? And so I think the two industries are absolutely, uh, I'm not gonna say diametrically opposed to each other, but like they're going in different pathways. In in the actual comics, you can explore better ideas like um i was exposed to like uh anarchism through like grant morrison comics with like the invisibles i was exposed to uh i was exposed to a lot of uh queer ideas through like vertigo comics and through uh independent comics like love and rockets and i was exposed to surrealism through uh daniel close comics right so and i was exposed to like ethnic diversity and like Black empowerment through milestone comics. And this is, you know, these are these are all older comics. Like the first time I saw um, a gay superhero was in Warren Ellis's uh Stormwatch, right? And it wasn't, it wasn't portrayed as a joke, it wasn't portrayed as a side thing, it wasn't portrayed as like this, they didn't have this huge coming out thing. It was just like these two characters embraced and then they kissed. And then from that point on, everyone knew that they were a couple, and it's the Midnighter and Apollo. And uh they were total badasses, you know? So it's, it's going to take, um, so we're talking about two different worlds where like um, a writer and an artist can draw whatever the hell they want. They have an unlimited budget. They don't have a lot of um, editorial uh, uh, like oversight, right? Like, um, well, the editors of the big two can be pretty strict, but they're a lot more lenient than say, a producer with a cigar like what how is this gonna put butts in the seat like nobody wants to see some gay stuff or whatever like you know black people can't be heroes like you know it's not gonna sell unless it's denzel or or uh will smith so you know it's, it doesn't it has a different they have a different vibe in the actual comics um that's not saying that the comics are utopia they still have a lot to go um a long long way to go a lot of the fans are still kind of terrible and you know they they want to see uh they think that any character a lot of a lot of fans think that any character is not a cis white male is like some kind of agenda like there's a whole group of those of those guys who think that but none of what those the comics gators which is those uh right wingers 
none of what they uh, want to see, like they can't stop the diversity because as long as there's pen and paper, there's comics. And so people are making indie comics left and right. Like it's a really uh, beautiful world out there right now. And this having this independence is not necessarily leveling the playing field, but it's put, giving us a chance to even suit up, right? And so, but like with the with the movies, it's a totally different world. There's so many layers of um, red tape you have to go through um, in order to get a movie made. Like I don't have you know ten million dollars to go make a small independent film that has decent effects that's going to be able to compete with anything the MCU and DC can come up with. So they're going to they're going to take their time. They're going to do what they feel is financially viable. Like there's debates whether still whether or not like women or whatever should be in these films. Like when the when they when a woman-led superhero movie comes out, the uproar is ridiculous and people try to game the system. And so it's going to take these big wigs at Marvel and DC like uh, ignoring this sort of like nasty minority voice, right-wing fan base, and just being like, everybody wants to come see these films. Like, and everybody can, you know? So, oh, my cat's bothering me. Oh, you're good, you're good. Every time I'm on Zoom, he, he wants to know why I'm speaking in this weird- I, I have two parrots and they're in the yeah. bedroom right now and they're quiet because I closed the door. I, anytime oh, I take an episode, I keep my birds yeah. in the other room. And yeah, so- he was being good for a while, but I guess he hears me getting animated. <laughs> it's okay. Right. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, like um, it's gonna take them, like someone's gonna have to put their foot down, like a creator, and just say, no, this is the story we want to tell. Like if JJ Abrams had put his foot down and supported Ryan Johnson and said, No, I like what he I like what Ryan Johnson did with um uh The Last Jedi. We're gonna continue on this line, we're not gonna cater to this minority fanboy voice and we're going to really try to change things right um you know that's what it's going to take um but it's also going to take little small moments like like the like films like moonlight you know winning best picture once people start to make that connection that you can have films like moonlight um for like a queer community or for a black community and also like hey maybe the matrix could be sort of moonlighted right like why can't why can't neo be a, a gay black man you know, <laughs> morpheus no i'm just or a gay black woman or a gay right. black woman yeah we're not right like why can't morpheus be trans you know like yeah. it makes sense um you know and speaking of the matrix like you know their directors are two trans women so you know once people's voices start amplifying louder and um making money the people who are marginalized start like coming into money and and things like that then that's that's what's going to change that industry so it's two different industries there's comic books which are a lot more freer and more fluid and you can do a lot more things and then there's the films which are just loaded with like you know like the first ever film was you know was probably one of the most racist films ever made so it's like we're, we're dealing with that baggage when it comes to trying to break through any of the glass ceilings in Hollywood. So it's going to take a while, but we're getting there. I understand. I want yeah. to ask you this. What has been the greatest challenge you've encountered working on this project? Um, like the biggest challenge has been not um, feeling bad for advertising about it. Uh, I feel like 
<laughs> I'm not, I'm on the surface. I think people think that I'm really good at like, like networking and advertising my stuff and branding and all this stuff. But I, I feel like awful doing it. Like, I don't know. I feel like I'm putting a lot of pressure on my friends to support me and just, um, I feel like one of those guys with chomping on a cigar and like, you know, like, I don't know. I feel sleazy just you know, trying, to, trying to sell myself. Self-promotion um, is hard. I know it it's is. hard. I have my own show and I don't yeah. ever, I, I do my posts and stuff and you get used to, I've been doing it for four years, but yeah. when you first start doing this and you put yourself out in the public eye and you got to yeah. promote what you're passionate about, I know what you're talking about. It's a challenge. No, and you feel yeah. like people, you feel like if you approach your friends about it, that they're yeah. thinking you're just having an agenda to promote your, your, right, right, your stuff right. to them. Sure. You know? And it's like, you know, I, I guess I don't really have imposter syndrome per se, but I have like, I just, I just don't want to come across as just like selling a product to people. But I want to not. come across as like having people embrace these moments that I create, like Arc Dust or any of my bands or like the comics as like these movements that they can get behind. And that's like two different points of view of, of describing, I guess, the same thing. But like, I try to frame it in in a way that feels like people can like uh, feel like they're reflected in the work that I'm doing and not just, Oh, buy this self-indulgent thing because, you know, <laughs> I want to make money and that's absolutely not it. So that's been the hardest thing, like not necessarily the physical aspects of promotion, but like the mental toll that it has kind of taken or whatever. Um, but the art and the writing, that's the easy part. I've been doing that since I was like five years old. So, you know, that's not, that's not even a big deal. Um, and like working with James Dillenbeck, the artist who is just going to be a rising star, you know, that's been super, super easy. Like we're really good friends now. Um, we, met, we met online, but now yeah. we're really good friends. So that's been like, you know, super easy. Um, the person that I did layout with, he's also a friend. And uh, they've been really, really solid with it. So I don't know. It's just been, um, it's just been like that part about it, about trying to sell it to someone and like prove my worth or whatever. That's another thing I don't want to do. I don't, that's, a, that's one reason why I don't, um, I don't apply to a lot of grants. I don't apply. I don't send my, my work to um, like short story magazines. And you sound like, I'm sorry. Know, I no, I'm just saying I, I don't like send my demo to like, you know, sub pop or whatever. Cause like, I don't, I'm not trying to prove that what I'm doing is worth putting out. Like I already know that it is. And I don't have the time to wait around for other people to tell me that it is. Like, like if I, if we try to get black vans or any of my other projects out on a major label, it would have to be, so we'd have to finish the project. Then we have to come up with a pitch Bible. And then we'd have to like talk to editors, publishers, um, agents right and then we'd have to get rejected 10 million times and or then someone maybe would find it worthy enough to put out and then it's like it's like three years after i've already announced it right <laughs> like you know so it's just more i don't have the energy and the time to sort of like wait around for some guy in a suit to tell me that um they want to sign me or whatever i would love to write for dc and marvel um, but right now I just want to do what I'm doing. And then maybe if that can segue into something else, that's great. Tell me, tell me a little about the Kickstarter campaign that you did for this. How did you start that? And how did, it's amazing. Congratulations on meeting your goal over by oh, a few thousand, you. right? So yeah, I'm so yeah. excited for you on that. That's yeah, a huge yeah. accomplishment. That's a, and during this pandemic and everything that's been going right. on, 
That's huge. Tell us all about that. Uh, well, I was a little nervous about doing that again, like I said, because of um, all the trepidation around um, organizing things like this, but um, you know, I have a, a solid friend base and a solid base of people who are like interested in some of the things that I'm working on. So I kind of knew that um, I had a strong feeling that it would get funded, but it's still these moments where you're like, is this really going to happen? But um, I mean, you had 348 people back you on this project. Yeah, to me, yeah, that yeah. reflects a significant yeah. level of support yeah. that you should really was, pat yourself on the back for, man. Right, that's right. not something I've ever done. And I don't think most of our listeners have done that before. You know, I think that's yeah. a great accolade for you. Yeah. And I think, I think the story is interesting. Um, it doesn't feel like a typical sci-fi or a typical superhero tale. And I think, uh, and of course, James's artwork is just phenomenal, right? So um, those things combined really helped us a lot. And through our two, I guess, networks, we were able to like, you know, really come come across as having something that we can like feel, you know, proud to present. I think the Kickstarter campaign itself, um, I was like, should I do a video? But then I was like, I want to keep this as minimal as possible. That's my one piece of advice to anyone doing a Kickstarter. Um, minimalism because if you're if you're offering a lot of rewards like that you can't um you know that you can't come through with then it you know it gets really difficult like oh donate five hundred dollars and Channing Tatum will come and sing at your <laughs> like you can't you can't like um promise that right like so we just promise the basic things and we set it up in the context of like you know if you're if you want to uh participate in this then it's kind of more like a donation right you know but you'll also get these things. so um you know you have to be as realistic as you can about the tiers and the rewards that you can promise and um yeah you're still you're still accepting the kickstarter for how much longer until it until you conclude it or what's yeah it's like at this point it's um like 26 hours left on it so <laughs> yeah. so we did our show literally at the end of your kickstarter right. campaign yeah, yeah, yeah. that's good yeah, timing yeah. i am um, but there's going to be a second printing so if people want to uh order it they they can so okay and and, and a little about that i ordered i guess i pre-ordered for 12 yeah. bucks you could pre-order yeah, yeah, yeah. and get your own copy of the comic and i'm excited yeah. about that i'm gonna put yeah, that on my yeah. coffee table so when people actually come over in the future at some point i could that's share your work and share your story yeah 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 i want to ask there's, you that. Um, there's four issues so um just yeah so be on the lookout hopefully within the year the whole story will be out and so yeah great uh i want to ask you this what's your favorite part of working on black things oh um usually with all my comics my favorite part is like designing the world like at the very beginning before i actually start writing the script so just like coming up with the characters and how the world works um and then going back and forth with the artists like oh, we should, um, you know, steal this costume from this Tatsunoku character and combine it with this Mobius character and remix it. Like, just coming up with the, the brainstorming and mashing together the ideas is always, you know, really, really fun. Uh, I love doing, I love that aspect of it, you know. And just just the wild kind of, like, idea scape is my favorite part. Um, I want to ask you this. Are any of the characters in Black Bands based on real life? Oh, um, not really. Like probably bits and pieces of my friends, but for the most part, um, no. <laughs> yeah. 
Like, um, hmm. I guess one of the characters kind of dresses like me, but <laughs> other than that, I don't really think so. I don't really think so. Yeah. Okay. No. What uh, is- maybe the bad guy is a mix of like all the shitty guys that have been floating around for the past six or seven years. Like the main bad guys kind of got some uh, like Martin Scarelli uh, meets Donald Trump meets um, uh, Mark Zuckerberg kind of thing going on. Like he's a, a tech pharmaceutical uh, magnate and he just kind of is kind of sliming greasy and shitty and gotcha. a, a mix of all those shitty people. <laughs> gotcha. What yeah. is a cyberpunk superhero comic series and how does it differ from traditional? I wouldn't say the word traditional, but how does your, you know, how is a cyberpunk superhero comic series portrayed differently than what we'd see on the big screen or what, when I say big screen, I should really just say the comic strips that we normally. Yeah. Are. Well, I think, so I'm really, I've been really into like this sort of eighties retro futurism and um, sort of like uh, sci-fi noir elements a lot. And um, it's not really an element that's explored a lot in um, superhero comics. So I wanted to give it, put some energy towards that. Like basically, you know, what if the X-Men universe looked more like Blade Runner, I guess. And also I'm into the idea of the uh, the political aspects of a lot of cyberpunk. Like um, we're in a weird time right now. Like Blade Runner takes place in 2019, right? The Running Man, it takes place in 2019. And like Akira, it takes place in 2020, I think. So we're in this really weird time right now where um, we're in the future, you know, and we have to deal with things like surveillance and, um, uh, just lack of privacy, um, having our world sort of droned and uh, Google mapped to death, right? So every, and, uh, you know, facial recognition, everything that like all these science fiction writers like Octavia Butler, William Gibson, uh, George Orwell, like warned us against, right? We are kind of accepting into our home. So like, for me, it's only really like natural to sort of write about those things and like add those elements into my story other than just like, dun, 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 I'm a superhero. I saved the day. Here's your purse, ma'am. You know, like stopping like bank robberies and stuff. It's just, that's, that's whack. You know, like um, what we do with our communal power. Um, and that's how I view superhero power is that it's a reflection of communal power. What we do with that and is can like change the world using these gifts, using our gifts, like how can we affect society? Like how can we like create a world that we want to live in and not just like go work for the military or whatever, you know, like we can actually actively save the world in our own communities. And that's a core element of like Afrofuturism. And especially when it's viewed through like a lens of um, the, the politics of cyberpunk, you know? I just wanted to, to to say that how excited I am to feature this on my show because of the issues that we're in as a society right now with diversity, inclusivity, and everything. And LGBTQ stuff is is really mm-hmm. an important aspect of things in our lives. And I want to ask you this. When you look at the work you're doing right now, and you're a trailblazer, whether or not you realize it, I came across your information. I wanted to feature you because I'm like, this is notable. I don't know many people who are independently creating their own comic scripts to reflect their reality of what they see the world through their eyes right. or through the eyes of friends and close to, you know, that to me is pivotal. When we show 
society a reflection through the eyes of you as an artist, right? right. And what you're creating. That's when you're going to get younger children and others in society to look at positive role models. And I wanted to ask you, do you feel in your gut that doing this project, the, the fact that you're able to put out LGBTQ role models to the public mm. represents one of your key passions with this project? Um, yeah, in a way. Um, it's an adult comic, okay. to be clear. Sure. But like, I read adult comics when I was a certain age. Like, It's not so adult that like it's impossible you know for like someone 13 or 14 to read so i do think like i want to i want to create work um that's got the same energy as the work that inspired me right like you know i used to carry around samuel delaney books in my back pocket all the time right like i want to create work that sort of speaks that same language and has that same energy as i did when i was discovering like uh, public enemy and Wu-Tang Clan, right? When I first yeah, found, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, when I first found um, Anarchy in the Black Revolution by Lorenzo Caboa Irving, like, and when I first found Ishmael Reed, you know, and Toni Morrison, like, I want to create the kind of work that, I don't know, maybe I'll never be as good as them, but that has that impact in a similar way, right? In a way that where it can be, inspire someone to think along a different path than what's been laid out, right? And so that means being empowered, self-determined and empowered by like who you are and like your and like where you want to see the world in the future and not necessarily um, through the lens of this kind of like overtly militarized world that we live in. Right. So, yeah, that's that's kind of part of uh, that's a huge part of like why I write what I write. Like a friend of mine, uh, Sean Aline, and I've done this too. We do uh, workshops and sometimes, you know, the workshops are with kids, right? And like, and we, we are like, yo, let's make comics, right? And it's just like a fun workshop, but it also gets kids to think about things critically and, you know, think about stuff like design, think about futurity, think about like all kinds of things when, when you get a kid to like create a comic book just and just creativity. And it sort of like breaks our heart that a lot of black and brown kids don't design black and brown superheroes, right? And it's because the world that they live in is sort of regimented and funneled into a sort of default whiteness, right? It's amplified worse in the heroes that we are absolutely constantly surrounding ourselves with. Um, that's why I work like Into the Spider-Verse and Black Panther. Um, that's why those those works are so important and necessary and, and powerful. And uh I want to be a part of that uh, milieu, I guess, and sort of changing the narrative so that like young black and brown kids can like define who they are through superheroes, through. I love that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, why not? I right? love that. Like, I love that message. I just think yeah. it's such a great message to have, mm -hmm. to share, and to promote. Because if you can look on, uh, if you can look at yourself in a comic strip and, and or a comic story and and read yeah. about yourself. You're going to feel better about yourself. You're not going to have these negative feelings about being dis, you know, being disenfranchised or being not, not showing up and not represented. That's why I think it's so important that we talk about these type of topics and topics and subjects because you right now are you self financed yourself. You're yeah, going to yeah. put this thing out there and you're going to say, "Hey, I have it. I'm ready to 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 launch." Right. And I feel like the more people see things like what you're doing right now the more you'll find other people, other Alex's in the future. Right. Like, you know what? 
I want to do something representative of, of myself. I want to put something out. There. And that's the, that's the, I think that's the key to changing these long held yeah. beliefs and notions that, you know, white versus black or us versus them, that kind of <laughs> stuff. I, I, I'm so excited that, and it's refreshing to me that society is starting to slowly change, but it's so slow and so gradual that I wanted to ask you from your vantage point and you look at all this, what do you think, let's say there's someone 10 years old right now mm-hmm. and they haven't yet defined themselves of who they are, what they are, but what would you say to someone who's 10 years old right now, who's very creative and is an, an aspiring artist? How would you, I guess, advise them on what steps they should take in their path to follow their true path for themselves? I mean, I would, I would be very uh, light with any advice that I would give a 10 year old, like, because, um, sort of my unspoken advice would be to like, don't lose that spark, right? Like don't clearly define yourself. Um, I would say to just absorb everything, absorb and observe everything and just let it all kind of sink in. Don't adhere to, oh, well that's, that's, that design concept isn't for black people or this type this type of music isn't for black people like don't be consumed by what is and isn't for you but just be respectful of its origins and then absorb it into who you are right like just be as free as you want to be and that would be i guess my my first bit of my really my only bit of advice for someone who's that young is to just never lose that spark never not just be like sitting at your dining room table and like zoning out the world. Like that's the best creators never lost that spark. Right. They never lost that sort of sense of wonder and awe, not only, and I say that selfishly because we need that sense of wonder and awe, right? Like we need someone with that sense of wonder and awe to like help us figure out how to get out of climate control to figure out, help us figure out how to stop, turning our, our inner city black neighborhoods into food deserts, right? Like we need to figure out how we need someone with a sense of wonder and awe who's going to be like, maybe we should pay teachers more so that we can actually have curriculum that can spark and inspire, right? Like we need someone with a sense of wonder and awe who can say, maybe there's a solution to like problems in Syria and Iran that don't involve like shooting people, right? <laughs> like maybe somebody who can imagine deeper can help us like create this like world that's like a lot more equitable right and so i would i would i would absolutely tell any child like whatever you can come up with is like perfect and never lose that spark never lose that spark i could you know i could technically show them how to draw a character or how to write a story but the best piece of advice is to tell them like that creativity should just be natural. It should flow and it should not be limited by anything. Definitely. I want to get into your story a little bit. Okay. What made you focus on pharmaceutical companies and future Philadelphia as a base of your story? Um, I don't. So it was during the time, like I said, of like Martin Scarelli was like buying up the Wu-Tang album and like doing all kinds of evil stuff. You know, he was charging hundreds of dollars for, like drugs that people needed, like drugs that were like, before he decided to mark up the price, 
drugs that were like twenty dollars were now like in the hundreds. You know, it sickened me when I saw that. Sickened. Yeah, me. yeah, and I just thought that that was a perfect kind of allegory, symbolism for like capitalism run amok, right? And I saw who it was affecting the most, which was like poor people and people of color. And I just was like, yeah, this is this is my bad guy. <laughs> That's pretty clear, right? I guess looking back, you know, there's there's plenty of things that we could talk about with regard to how to frame a sort of like cyberpunk story that has deeper ideas. But to me, oh, and also like in Philadelphia, like there's a, a opioid epidemic that's like just really claiming a lot of lives. Mm. And, um, you know, of course our city didn't care about it until it started affecting like white neighborhoods. So it, to me, like the sort of like built-in racism of the uh, pharmaceutical industry and the medical industry was the perfect symbol for all the crap that we've been dealing with, like especially POC and especially, you know, in our allies for like hundreds of years, centuries. And so I wanted to just write a story that showed people fighting through that dystopia. Like we're living in a dystopia if we can't get medicine, right? Like we're in it. So right. there's no there's no way to ignore it right now. And um, you know, I wanted it, I wanted my uh, antagonist to have more than just like I will destroy the world, you know, as his like um as his motivation, right? I wanted to be reflective of something that people can relate to. So I figured, yeah. I want you to I want to ask you about Bo, a plus size yeah. gay bear of Afro-Latin descent who always seems to be messing up. How yeah. did you arrive at creating Bo and how critical is Bo to your story? Wow, thanks for that question. This is actually the first time someone's asked me about that. And I've done a plenty of interviews, but because no one's asked me about the characters specifically, uh, which is which I think is, is kind of interesting. Well, yeah. it goes back to what we were talking about. Like everyone understands the characters in a sort of like ethereal way. But since it's not Spider-Man and Batman and Superman, it's like it's kind of hard for people, I think, to figure out how to ask the question. And you did a great, obviously a great job. But um, <laughs> yeah, Bo is like, he looks like dudes that I've dated, right? You know, like um, he looks like people that I've known for like years um, just in my neighborhood or within the punk rock community. Yeah, it's time for people like Bo to have a chance to see themselves as being heroic, right? And the characters, so the characters are kind of inspired by, if you read comics and you read them deeply, like superheroes are always aided by a sort of like nerdier, uh, character a lot of times that character is like chubby or whatever and just I like, not yeah. not not viewed as being someone that could kick ass right but <laughs> they, they they usually hang out in like these little black vans in the alleyway and they give all the intel <laughs> to the superhero like where the bad guys are and like you know a robin uh, type <laughs> well even uh less empowered than robin because they're you know they never actually see action they're just the guys that have the uh, earpieces on right so I wanted to pull those characters out of the shadows and sort of uh, examine like what their life is like. Yeah, Bo's a um, he's a big boy. He's he's sexy and he is empowered and yeah, he just he listens to punk rock. You know, he plays soccer and he's really, you know, he really wants to make a difference, but he's struggling with like where he can um, put his energies, you know, and he's struggling with trying to figure out love and uh, navigating these 
uh, awkward moments with his best friend, um, Alistair. And so, yeah, they're, they're, they're both trying to like um, figure out why the superheroes are disappearing and also like doing a will they or won't they kind of thing. So yeah, I wanted, and you know, like a huge part of where the character Bo comes from. So me and my uh, partner, me, my husband, uh, Shane, we would watch these really bad, uh, we call them bad gay movies. And they're basically um, these movies with this sort of like simpleton, um, usually super white um, protagonist. And they're these like really stuffy characters that don't have any agency, right? But they're always looking to find like the hottest guy and like end up in this awesome romantic relationship. And that's kind of the crux of almost all of these independent uh, gay films. And so, you know, but you never see, you never see uh, characters of size. You, you hardly ever see black and brown characters. And so I just wanted to sort of like, not necessarily subvert that, but to just like show that um, you can still tell a compelling story, uh, even if the main character doesn't look like, I don't know, Timothy Chalamet or something, right? <laughs> so yeah, like there's a lot. Yeah, that's basically uh, where Bo comes from. And he was the first design that James did. And uh, as soon as I saw it, I was like, yo, <laughs> this is going to be some fun, fun stuff. So yeah, it's been really fun doing that. Let's let's talk about Goran Gale. Okay. Goran Gale and, and Goran Gale's impact on the story. Tell our audience a little about Goran Gale and the character. Okay. Well, I've been kind of talking about him a little bit. Like, like I said, he's a mashup of all the evil dudes that we know uh, on the right wing um i can't tell you too much because there's going to be some reveals in issue two and three sure but he's he's definitely a piece of work um (laughs) a little bit of so mash all those evil dudes the uh trumps and the pences and the scarellis and like all those and the elon musk types or whatever and then throw in kingpin from the daredevil series and you kind of have goring gale he's just um He's a huge guy, right? But he's also extremely athletic. And uh, he, which you'll see in issue two and three, like he's a badass. So not just in the fact that he has a lot of money, but he's going to do some stuff that's going to probably shock people. So yeah. And not and not to say that issue one is all set up. I think issue one is definitely really kick-ass and really uh, strong. But I like telling the stories in chapters so that you get this like rising feel to it. So yeah, look out for him. He hates superheroes. Yeah, that's all I'm gonna say. Because <laughs> if I say too much, he'll, I'll be revealing. But just without a giveaway. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no, just no spoilers. He's this, he's this evil, evil dude mashup. So and he was definitely a lot of fun to write because we wanted James and I wanted to make him sexy and desirable as well. And so it was kind of difficult for us to write a character that we both felt was sexy and desirable, but also like evil as hell. Um, and I think a lot of, which is to me, I've, I've always been more attracted to the villains. Uh, I used to like root for Cobra Commander and- B.I. Yeah, Joe. Uh, right. <laughs> I, would, I, I felt bad for Skeletor, you know, things like that. So yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> if they were really, 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 really bad, like maybe Megatron or whatever, then yeah. But um. So it's definitely got a little bit of that element too, like that that element of like just sort of like understanding the badassness of some of these villains that we sort of love to hate, like Magneto. But yeah, um, yeah. but there's nothing there's nothing relatable about Gale's politics, unlike maybe you could relate to Magneto's sort of 
self-empowerment politics, right? But there's nothing really relatable about Gale. That's the only thing I can say about him. Um, maybe that was a flaw in the writing a little bit, but I also think that no it's flaws. Time, Yeah, I think it's time <laughs> no to like, re- reveal these people for who they are. Like they're they're terrible, and we need we need to like really examine these people because they're you know they're controlling our lives, right? Like these billionaires and these mm. politicians that are in the pockets, you know, of the billionaires. So we got to really examine these things. And yeah, so. What are blank ghosts? You referenced blank ghosts in your description. I wanted to ask you what that was. Uh, the blank ghosts are these sort of like uh, robot-esque uh, paladins that Gale uh, deploys. Um, they're sort of this uh, invention. They're, where they come from is sort of uh, controversial. But he uses the blank ghost as his um, security force. So what he's done is he's taken over security for the city of uh, future Philly because people don't, people didn't trust the police and, but something worse appeared in their stead. So now he's controlling the police in in his own way, but he also has his own security force, the, uh, the, um, the blank ghosts. So yeah, there's there's a lot of layers to the story. It'll all be revealed, and then boom. Yeah. What's what's one thing about Black Vans that you have yet to share with the public, but which you would be willing to share on a show today? Oh man, like story story wise or creation wise, I, I guess. I'll let you decide that one. I don't um, want to do over revealing too much without the book coming out. Yeah, I don't want to say. I don't know if I want to say. Um, I don't know if I want to say, but I will. I'll say this. It's um. It's different than any of my other projects. So just because there's like such a strong visual element to it, like James's art just makes it just explode off the page. So that's all I can really say. I don't, I don't want to give too much away, but yeah. Sure. yeah no problem. Yeah. How does Black Bands define your vision of the future? Um, wow, that's, that's a good one too. It's more of like a cautionary story in a way. So I guess I would say that like, it's a darker vision um, of the future, but it's one that also, I hope, like inspires hope and inspires like people to sort of like transform, transform things and to take the reins. So, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a question here. Yeah. We're running a lot of time, so I'm, I'm going to conclude this, but I want to ask you where, yeah. do you, where do you see yourself in five years from now? Yeah, just hopefully doing the same thing. Um, I quit the food industry a couple of years ago. And uh, I've been doing art and writing full time. So, um, you know, I want to design. I do collage work also. Um, So hopefully I want to design more album covers, more T-shirts. And uh, I want to grow um, a little very small, super small publishing company, maybe like two or three books a year, maybe two books a year. um, And maybe like publish other writers and artists. Um, yeah. So just keeping everything sort of small, if like Netflix comes calling, they want to put out, you know, Black Vans miniseries, I'm all down for it. But um, yeah, I guess as I get older, I have less and less energy to like, want to kind of slut myself out there for the mainstream. I want to take opportunities as I, as they come and just build on each one. So like I won the pew, so I want to so that was really great. And it, it's given me like a Tell us about years. that. Oh yeah, that was really cool. It was, um, so I, I rarely apply to grants, but 
um, I was nominated and I was like, you know what? I have to do this. Um, uh, some fr- actually some friends of mine have won pews, uh, uh, Rashida Phillips and um, Kamea Yahweh who do uh, uh, black quantum futurism. They've won um, Ursula Rucker, uh, King Brit. So some people that I know have won and I was like, well, why not me? You know, it's my time. <laughs> and, um, you know, I applied to it. Um, I found out that I was pretty decent at writing grants. So maybe I should apply for more because I won another one right before that. Congratulations. Oh, That's so, amazing. A, a way smaller one. But yeah. So, you know, I, I like I said, and the Pew has been really, really helpful and, um, you know, really uh, empowering for me. And it's great to be able to talk to past winners and get advice. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it's like just taking each little uh, thing that's presented to me as its own entity and not trying to project too far into the future. I guess five years is a decent amount of time. Sure. So, yeah, just just taking things incrementally. And if an opportunity arises, then trying to, like, have enough energy and enough I guess, emotional stamina to like nail it. Right. So that's what, that's, that's where I want to be and not Absolutely. waiting tables. So <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, I want to ask you, where can our audience find you? What would they do to reach out to you? How would, I mean, I'm going to put the program notes for the Kickstarter, but that's ending yeah. in a few, a few hours, but yeah, yeah, yeah. what would be the best way for our audience to find out more about you and to reach out and just find out more about black, black family and everything else? Uh, I'm pretty active on Instagram. Um, they can go to they are birds uh, at they are birds, and um, they could also go to my website alexoteric a l e x o t e r i c dot com. Um, yeah, and I'm also at alexoteric on Twitter. I'm not as on Twitter as much because um I can't figure out how to use it. <laughs> like, I don't know how. To, Huh? I just shared that I supported the the the, the, the strip the, the you know black fans today. I put on my awesome. Twitter feed so that hopefully anyone on my Twitter feed will find out about it. Oh, and great, great, great! I just think this is such a great thing. So yeah. just, just so I get this right, it's a l e x o t e r i c dot com. Yeah, yeah. I'll put that in the in the program notes as well. Awesome. So yeah, and if you can't if you can't um afford to pledge right now, um, or if you're hearing this after the thing's over, you can go to alexoteric dot com there will be a link for you to be able to buy the book. So, yeah. Well, here's what I got to say to you. First off, yeah. I'm glad I could be on the on the original fundraising part of your project. And I'm glad that you could come on the show today and you agreed to come on and share these amazing ideas with our audience. Because one of the things I'm trying to do on my platform is present various aspects of diversity, inclusion, and acceptance. And I also believe heavily in the arts. And so you just mm-hmm. brought all that <laughs> rolled right, in right, one right. for my episode today. So I really right. appreciate you coming on and, and sharing. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's, it's really passion. Your passion, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's breathtaking, man. I'm really excited for your I project. I'm, I'm so happy that you have pursued this and you didn't give up and you, and you pushed ahead. And I, I really do think you're setting a, a really, I'm getting speechless. A really positive advantage for audience and a positive advantage for LGBTQ, people of color, and people who need to have positive role models in this world. That's what we yeah. need to push more of is positivity, role models, and acceptance. True. And so in terms of your project, I already say you've already created a successful venture. How it goes from there is, is just sky's the limit for me to see for you, I think, personally. So I want to thank you for coming on today. Yeah, no doubt, man. Thanks for having me. It's been really fun.
Thanks. All right. Sounds good. I just want to thank Alex Smith for coming on the show today and sharing his amazing details about his project and black vans, uh, LGBTQ, queer, people of color, cyberpunk, superhero comic. And I'm going to put the information, as I said, in the, in the show notes, as well as Alex's information. One of the things my takeaway from this, I grew up in a time frame that very similar to Alex's where we, we grew up and we saw role models on TV. We saw Superman. We saw Christopher Reeves as Superman. We saw the, the various, I, I wouldn't say the evolution of, of characters over the years where now we have more action hero movies with Marvel than we could have ever imagined as a child. I know when I was a child, I was really excited about the original Superman movies. And then we had Star Wars and we had all these amazing movies back then. But unfortunately, back then they were all filtered. They were mostly white characters, mostly what was called mainstream characters. But in reality, it's not an accurate depiction of, of reality of society itself and stuff. And so for me, my takeaway of this is when you're looking at someone who's an artist, who's establishing themselves from their point of view and and promoting the ideals of equality, inclusivity, and acceptance, that's a big thing for me. That's important and that's critical. And when it comes to heroes, we've got to get out of the mindset and the paradigm that heroes wear capes, they got chiseled abs, they're straight, and they're superhuman, uber-masculine individuals. In real life, heroes come in all shapes and sizes. They come of all persuasions. You, if you There's tons of unsung heroes out there that make amazing impacts in the lives of many. And for me, I consider Alex a hero in the arts because of what he's doing. He's focusing his efforts on creating something that's unique, but is also extremely important. We look at role models and they help define how we feel about ourselves internally. And that's why I feel it's so important that we have this type of information created out there. We need diversity. We need inclusivity. And we need to have a compassionate, open mind when we approach these things. So everyone in my audience, I encourage you to check out Alex's information. It'll be in the program notes. If you still have time and between now and, the, and other future editions, so support his project. I think it's that important and that vital. It's great to see a Kickstarter campaign create a reality for someone that had a dream originally. And one of the things you could take away from Alex too is he had a dream, he had a vision, he put his talents to work and he got it done. So right now he's raised about $15,000 of his original $12,000 goal with 348 backers, that says that this stuff has traction. It has traction to it. So the future of the the comic book industry and for future writers, I will absolutely tell you, check this out. Consider all the different options and and the derivations that exist in diversity when you create your works, because it will go a very long way. And so thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Thank you, Alex, for coming on to the show. I appreciate every single one of you for supporting our, our podcast. Stay positive because when you're positive, anything's possible. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Social Psychic Radio Show. Don't forget to join us for another episode next time. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. You can also check us out on Facebook and don't forget to visit the Social Psychic YouTube channel. Until next time, it's a big world out there. Keep an open mind. Embrace your paradigms and know that the universe is always yours to explore. With the Baker's Plus card, it's easy to get lower than low prices. For the win, earn fuel points on every purchase and save up to a dollar a gallon at the pump. The Baker's Plus card. All you do is win. Big, big savings. Sign up now at bakersplus.com and start saving. Baker's. Fresh for everyone. 
Savings may vary by state. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your favorites with the buy five or more, save a dollar each sale. Simply buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with your card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric Acid. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab, an electric cast production. See you there. Electric Acid. Electric Acid. 